This morning's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to try to stall as long as I... Oh, wow, he was quick with that. Thank you very much, Michael. But it's good to be together this morning. God's given us a beautiful day to worship Him. I know for those of you who are farmers, this truly is a beautiful day to you. We're thankful for the rain, thankful that God has blessed us with that. But how great is it to be in our presence? How great is our God? As we sang just a few moments ago and Look forward to spending some time in His Word together this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians, the third chapter. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to focus our attention on verses 3 and 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. We're going to continue the series of lessons that we began last week from the first four verses of Colossians 3. This morning, we're going to focus on verses 3 and four. Samuel Bringle was a member of the American Red Cross in Boston during the 1900s. He was walking down the street one day, actually walking past a saloon, whenever a couple guys threw a brick out into the street. He was the unlucky one. The brick hit him square in the head. And it actually caused a lot of damage. He almost died from it. It took him 18 months to fully recover from that brick hitting him in the head. During that 18 months, though, he had a lot of time on his hands. He had been wanting to write a little book, and during that year and a half, he found the time to do it. He wrote a little book called Helps to Holiness. It was a very popular book. It was printed and published and read thousands of times over by lots of different people. After those 18 months were up and he had fully recovered from the impact of the brick hitting his head, once he was able to travel again, once he was able to preach again, everywhere he went, someone mentioned this book to him. They mentioned how they had read it and how they had enjoyed it so much. They mentioned how they had gained so much from reading his little book, Helps to holiness, to each person he would respond with the same answer. He would say, if there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. That's a pretty amazing perspective, isn't it? I'm not so sure if I would have had that perspective. If I went through what he went through, I think I would have been pretty resentful. I would have been resentful towards the individuals who decided to throw the brick out into the street. I would have been angry that I was the unlucky one to get hit, let alone getting hit in the head. I would have been upset over the 18 months of my life that I lost recovering from the impact of that injury. That would have been my perspective. I would have been bitter. I would have been angry. I would have been resentful. But that wasn't Mr. Bringle's perspective. 
He had a perspective that looked on the positive side, a perspective that looked on the spiritual side, a perspective, a point of view that said, if there had been no little brick, there would have been no little book. A person's perspective is so important to their daily lives. How a person views the world, how a person views their lives, how a person views the people around them is going to determine how they're going to respond to different situations. A person's perspective determines the kind of decisions that are made, the priorities that are carried. And that's why we're looking at this series of lessons from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4 through about having a spiritual perspective. That should be what we want. That should be what we desire more so than anything else in life. We want to view the world around us not from a physical or earthly perspective. We want to view the world around us from a heavenly or a spiritual perspective. We don't want to view our lives through our own eyes. We want to view our lives through God's eyes. Imagine how our lives would be changed. Imagine the different decisions that we would make. What our priorities would look like if we learned and developed the capability to see this world the way that God does. To see this world not from a purely physical perspective, but from a spiritual perspective that Jesus invites us into. But yet, the question that we asked last week remains, how can we do this? How can we develop a spiritual perspective in life? How can we learn to view the world around us the way that God does? To view our lives through God's eyes. We said last week from Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4, there are three words that we need to understand. If we want to develop or gain a spiritual perspective in life, there are three words that we need to get. The first one we talked about last week, it's the word purpose. We asked and answered the questions, why are we here? What is our lives supposed to be all about? What is our purpose in this life? And Paul tells us in the first two verses of Colossians 3, he says, if you've been raised up with Jesus, go back to Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12, we're buried with Jesus in baptism, we're raised up with Him through faith and the powerful working of God. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, then what? Number one, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Number two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Seek and set. That's why we're here. That is our purpose in this life as followers of Jesus. We want to seek after spiritual things because we have set our minds on spiritual things. The first word that we need to understand is purpose. The second word that we need to understand, which we're going to be talking about this morning, is identity. In developing a spiritual perspective on life, we not only need to understand our purpose, we also need to understand our identity. We not only need to comprehend or realize why we are here, what our lives is supposed to be about, but also what defines our lives. We need to understand who we are as followers of of Jesus. And so let's see what Paul has to say about that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, who are we? 
What is it that defines us? Where do we find our identity? We're going to say two things this morning. Number one, the first idea that Paul presents to us in the first part of verse number three is that we are not who we used to be. Praise God. Thanks be to God for that amazing reality. Who are we? What defines us? Where is our identity? Well, if you look back in the past, we're not who we used to be. We don't have the same identity that we used to have. When you go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, notice that it begins with the word for in verse 3. For or because. That word serves the purpose of not only connecting verses 1 and 2 with verses 3 and 4, but it also explains what's said in verses 1 and 2 by what is said in verses 3 and 4. So if we go back to verses 1 and 2, that's what we talked about last week. Here's our purpose. We are to seek and to set. We seek after spiritual things because we've set our minds on spiritual things, but then we ask why. Why is that our purpose? Why is that what our lives is supposed to be all about? Verse 3, for, because, and he goes on to talk about our identity. What do we learn from that? We learn that our purpose in life is determined by our identity in life. What we do is based on and rooted in who we are. So if we don't get what we're talking about this morning in verses 3 and 4, we're not going to get what we talked about last week in verses 1 and 2. This builds on what we talked about last week. Who we are determines what we do. Our purpose is determined and set by our identity. So the question is, what is our identity? Who are we? What is it that defines us? Paul tells us in verse 3 that we're not who we used to be. He communicates that with the phrase, you have died. I look around this auditorium this morning and I don't see any dead people. Do you? We're here. We're all living. We're all breathing. So what does Paul mean by that? What does Paul mean, you have died? And and when did that take place? What does that look like to die? Well, if we go back to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, I think we find the answer. If you go back and you look in context in Romans chapter 6, and really before that, Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about the grace of God. For instance, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20, he talks about the law came in to increase the trespass, but watch this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Isn't that beautiful? Then in verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we approach Romans 6, we're talking about the greatest gift that we've ever received. A grace that, a gift that we don't deserve. The unmerited favor of God, favor bestowed whenever wrath is owed. Something that we do not deserve, something that we will never deserve. The amazing grace of God that's covered all of our sins. But then Paul asks a couple questions. In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Well, that means I can live how I want to, right? 
That means I can do the things I want to do. That means I can live the life I want to live. Can we just continue in sin, continue to habitually live in evil and wickedness so that grace will abound in our lives? What's the answer? Verse number 2, by no means. Other translations say certainly not. Absolutely no. The King James Version says God forbid. How can we who what? Died. What did we see in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3? For you have died. Here we're asking the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Can I just live the way that I want to live so that God's grace will abound in my life? Paul says you need to stop and think. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in sin. Paul says there's a moment in our past as Christians where we died to sin and it's because of that moment that we can't continue to live in sin. Well, what was that moment? What was the moment that we can point our finger on where we each individually died to sin? Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? No. We've died to sin. And because we've died to sin, we can't continue to live in sin. Well, Paul, what was the moment when I died to sin? Paul says, think back to the moment when you were baptized into Christ. Think back to the moment when you were buried with Jesus in baptism into death. That's the moment where you died. And you were raised up with Him to walk in newness of life. What happened when you made the decision to be baptized into Christ and you put Him on through that immersion? Later in the context, Paul's going to say that old man who you used to be, he was crucified. And the new man has been raised up. The old man is gone. The new man is here. That old identity, who you used to be, that's been completely erased. That's been completely eliminated. And it's been replaced with a much greater and a much better identity that's found in Jesus. I believe that's what Paul is talking about when we look at the first part of Colossians 3 and verse 3. He's saying, you have died. There's been this radical change. There's been this radical shift and transformation in your life where you died to sin. When you were buried in the waters of baptism, that old identity, who you used to be, was eliminated. And the new identity was received. What's Paul saying? He's saying, we're not who we used to be. We don't have the identity that we used to have. It reminds me of a story about Augustine of Hippo. He lived about 300 years after Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of him. Before he was converted to Jesus, he lived a very promiscuous life. He did the things he wanted to do as he searched for answers to life's biggest questions. He was asking questions like, Who am I? What's my purpose? Where am I going? And it led him down a very dark path until he found Christianity. Until he found Jesus. Augustine found that Jesus answers those questions better than any other source can. So it was shortly after his conversion. He was walking down the street one day. And he heard the voice of one of his former mistresses calling out behind him, Augustine! Augustine, it's me! Come here, I, I want to talk to you for just a minute. He didn't even stop. 
He kept walking forward, facing forward, but she didn't give up. Augustine, it's Claudia. It's Claudia, don't you remember me? Come back here, I have something to say to you. I haven't seen you in forever. Without even stopping, Augustine looked over his shoulder at her and said, you might still be Claudia, but I'm no longer Augustine. He understood it, didn't he? He understood what Paul's saying there at the beginning of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. He had died. He wasn't who he used to be. He didn't have the same identity that he used to have. And the same is true for us. If we've been baptized into Jesus, it was that moment where we died. It was in that moment where we went from dead in sin to dead to sin. The old man was crucified and the new man was raised up. The old man is gone. The new man is here. The old identity has been eliminated and it has been replaced with something so much greater and so much better. Who are we? What is our identity? Look back at the past. We're not who we used to be. But that's only half of what we need to say this morning about our identity. We look back to the past and certainly we're not who we used to be. That's a reason to praise God. That's a reason to fall down before Jesus on our knees in gratitude. We're not carrying the baggage that we used to have. But what about now? Who are we now? What is our identity in the present? What defines our lives from this day forward? And what Paul's going to tell us at the very end of verse 3 and to the beginning of verse 4 is that our identity is found in Jesus. Who are we? What is our identity? You're not who you used to be. And now your identity is found in Christ. Who you are is wrapped up in Him. Paul says that in a couple of different ways. Notice first the end of Colossians 3 and verse 3. He says, for you have died. That one moment back in your past, you have died, you've been changed, and now what? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Consider what that means. Consider what that means for our lives to be hidden with Christ in God. Can you see this pretty small piece of paper in my hand right here? What if I take this piece of paper and I hide it right here in the very back of my Bible, and I close up the book. Now the piece of paper is hidden in this book with all of the other pages within the book. Can you see the piece of paper anymore? No, you don't see the piece of paper. You only see the outside cover of the Bible. As you see the outside cover, realize it's protecting the piece of paper. As long as the piece of paper remains in this book, it's not going to be torn. It's not going to be crumpled up. It's going to be kept safe. In a very similar way, our lives have been hidden with Jesus in God. What does that mean? Well, just like you take the piece of paper and you put it inside of the book, now you don't see the piece of paper, you only see the book. Since our lives have been hidden with Christ in God, people don't see us. When they look at our lives, they don't see us. When they look at my life, they don't see Tyler. But instead, when they look at us, they should see God within whom we are hidden. They should see Jesus with whom we are hidden. You take the piece of paper, you put it in the book, and it's going to protect the piece of paper. When our lives are hidden with Christ in God, He becomes our hiding place. Like we sang a few moments ago, when the storm is raging around us, God takes us underneath His hand. 
He's the one who's protecting us. He's the one who's sustaining us. He's the one who is delivering us. He is the one who is saving us. Who am I? What is my identity? Here's what Paul has to say. Your life has been hidden with Christ. You are with Jesus in God. When people see you, they don't see you. Instead, they see God. And since you're hidden in the Father, He's the one who's protecting you. He's the one who's sustaining you. And then notice what's said at the very beginning of verse number 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life? Who is Jesus? Jesus is not just a part of our lives. Jesus is not just the most important thing in our lives. No, Jesus is our life. Anybody have one of these at home? I'd say you probably dug around in one of these this morning. What is that called, by the way? I used to call it when I was little a Chester Drawers. I thought it was named after somebody, like first name Chester, last name Drawers. Anybody willing to admit that? Probably not. Uh, if you're wondering, it's not Chester Drawers. It wasn't named after a person. It's a chest of drawers, okay? But how do you use a chest of drawers? You put one type of clothing, generally, in each drawer. So you're going to have a drawer for your undergarments. You're going to have a drawer for your socks. You're going to have a drawer for your shirts. Maybe you even have a different drawer for your long sleeve shirts and your short sleeve shirts. You're going to have a drawer for your pants and for your shorts. For any other type of clothing that you can think of, it gets a drawer and that's where it stays and it separates the different kinds of clothes from one another. Do we ever treat our lives like a chest of drawers? Maybe sometimes we're guilty of compartmentalizing our lives. Well, of course in the top drawer, I'm going to put what? I'm going to put Jesus in the top drawer, right? Because that's what's most important. I'm going to put spiritual things in the top drawer, and I'm going to open up that drawer when I need it. Maybe on Sundays, maybe on Wednesdays. I'm going to open up this drawer that has Jesus in it. But then in the next drawer, I'm going to put my family, and I'm going to keep those things separate. Then in the next drawer, I'm going to put my friends. Then in the next one, I'm going to put my job. Then in the next one, I'm going to put the different hobbies that I have. And I, and I have all these different drawers, and it's all organized, and it's all separated out from one another. So if I'm pulling out of the drawer that has Jesus in it, I'm going to act one way. But if I'm pulling out of the drawer that has my friends in it, then I'm going to act another way. If I'm pulling out the drawer that has my job, and I, I'm, I'm looking in that Monday through Friday, I'm going to conduct myself in a certain way. But it's not the same way that I'm going to conduct myself when I'm pulling out of the drawer that has all my hobbies in it, the things I like to do, the things that I enjoy. Realize, this text is not teaching us to do that. This text is not saying, put Jesus up in the top drawer, make Him the number one priority, and then everything else can be separate. What is this text teaching us? This text is teaching us that Jesus should be in every drawer. This text is teaching us that Jesus should be the one who touches. But not just the one who touches. Jesus should be the one who directs and controls every single area of our lives. So guess what? When I'm at church, I'm going to act the same way that I do when I'm around my friends. And when I'm around my friends, I'm going to act the same way that I do when I'm around my family. And when I'm around my family, I'm going to hold myself to the same standard that I hold myself to when I'm doing things that I enjoy. And when I'm doing things that I enjoy, I'm going to be the same person that I am at work Monday through Friday. 
Why is that? Because I've made Jesus the priority that everything comes back to. He's the one who's in every drawer. He's the one who touches and guides and directs every single part of my life. Jesus is not just the top priority. He is the priority that directs every other priority. And so we step back and we say, who are we? We step back and we ask the question, what is our identity? What, what defines who we are at the very core? And Paul gives us the answer. Number one, we're not who we used to be if you look back to the past. But if you want to know who you are now, your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Your identity is wrapped up in the one who you have submitted to. Your life has been hidden with Jesus in God. Jesus is your life. He's the one who is allowed to be in every single drawer. There was a chicken farmer walking through the forest one day, and he found a baby eagle who had fallen out of his nest. And so instead of leaving it there, he decided to pick it up and take it back to his farm. Before too long, the eagle started to act like the chickens. Walked like a chicken. It ate like a chicken. It was unable to do the things that eagles were supposed to do. It wasn't even able to fly. It never learned to fly. Instead, it acted like a chicken. People in his town and in his county would hear that he had an eagle on his farm. And they would travel on the weekends to come and see it. Who wouldn't want to go see a baby eagle on a farm? But when they got there, their excitement faded. Because this eagle acts like a chicken. The king of all birds is walking like a chicken and eating like a chicken and unable to do the things that it's supposed to do. It didn't understand its identity. This eagle was confused about its identity and because it thought it was a chicken, it wasn't able to be an eagle. Because it was confused about its identity, it wasn't able to reach its full potential. It wasn't able to do the things that it was supposed to do. And so the question I want to ask, are we confused about our identity? Are we confused about who we are? Let's test it. I want you to take a look at this sentence up on the screen. And I want you to fill in the blank for your own life. I am a what? Fill in that blank for me. I'm a mother. What defines you? Where do you find your identity? Oh, I'm a father. I'm a grandmother. I'm a grandfather. I'm an uncle. I'm an aunt. I'm a son. A daughter. A grandson. A granddaughter. I'm an employee. I'm an employer. I'm a, a person who owns my own business. I'm a school teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a minister. I'm an American. The list could just go on and on. How do you define yourself? Who are you? Where do you find your identity? If you fill in that blank with anything other than the word Christian, it's like an eagle who thinks he's a chicken. You're living your life like an eagle who has so many great capabilities, but is limited to the level of a chicken. If you fill in that blank with something physical, some kind of relationship or something that you do on a daily or weekly basis and your first thought isn't Jesus, are you confused about your identity? Are you reaching your full potential in Jesus? Are you able to do the amazing, powerful things that Jesus would 
empower you to do if you found your identity in Him? Who are we? What is our identity? I look back at my past and I praise God that I'm not who I used to be. But when I look at my present, I find responsibility. My identity is found in Jesus. Who I am is wrapped up in who He is. If we want to develop a spiritual perspective, we have to understand our, our spiritual purpose. We have to understand our spiritual identity today saying, I'm not who I used to be and I want my identity to be found in Christ. Maybe it's the case that you've never been baptized into Jesus. And if you've never been baptized into Jesus, you haven't experienced that, that change, that transformation, what Jesus can do in your life. Instead of being dead to sin, you continue to remain dead in sin. You don't have to stay there. You can die this morning and be raised up to newness of life. Eliminate that old identity and receive this new identity in Jesus. If we can help you do that, we'd love to. Or maybe you're sitting and thinking, yeah, I've, I've been baptized, I've died, but I'm not living that kind of life. And I'm confused about my identity and, and I'm not really sure who I am. I want to publicly say, Jesus, I'm going to be yours. I want to find my identity in you. If you need the support of your brothers and sisters in that endeavor, that's what we're here for. That's why we're extending this invitation. We'd love to pray for you as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.